Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Eric Deckers. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a long time since you and I have seen each other, real world or otherwise. When was the last time we were in the same place? Do you know? I I think you came down to Indianapolis when I still lived there, but I remember you and I drove to was it West Virginia for the BAM conference. Yes, yes. And, and I don't know if that was the last time we were together or if there was a time after that, but that was the longest time we were together because it was like yeah. six, seven hours in the car. Yeah, it was a long drive. It was a long drive. And that was in the somewhat early days of social media. Things have changed a little bit since then. And, and that's one of the ways when I think of Eric Decker's, you are positioned in my head as one of the first people who seem to understand social media and share that understanding with the world. Um, so you will forever be positioned in my head in that way. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's at least my, what <laughs> well, I, I appreciate think. that. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely yeah. one of the first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you've <clears throat> sort of codified that knowledge in a couple books and then with your business. And, and I want to talk about how all of that evolved because like me, your career started pre-internet or at least pre-social media as we know it today. So talk to me a little bit about career path. What were you thinking about when you were sorting out what you wanted to do with your life? I know you ended up at Ball State. I think you were a philosophy major. Yes. Do I have that yes. right? Okay. So talk to me about what the plan was and what you did about that. And then when did things change? Okay. I'll hit the high points. We can jump back to something if you want. Uh, so I went to Ball State uh, and became a philosophy major because it seemed interesting. And so I thought, well, I want to stay in higher education. Uh, but then I discovered that not only were there more professors than there were positions, but you had to know German or French fluently to be able to read Kant or Sartre in the original language. And I had had three years of high school German, and so I was not about that anymore. Sure. Uh, so I decided to go into uh, student personnel administration, got my master's at Ball State in that, <clears throat> worked in uh, worked in residence life for a couple of years at Illinois State University, went back to Ball State for a master's in speech communication, and uh, and ended up getting married uh, to one of my classmates. Yep. Um, and we went to work for her dad. Okay. And. Uh, and he had he had just started a company that was exporting poultry feeding equipment. We were based up in Syracuse, Indiana, so just okay. down the road from you. Yep. Um, but uh, the, the the so we were in Syracuse, and our our suppliers were from all over the country, and we sent it all over the world. And I did that for a number of years, uh, and then hit a couple of different jobs. Uh, worked for a software company in Fort Wayne. Uh, then we moved to Indianapolis, and I worked in crisis communication for the Indiana Department of Health. And then I went to work for a direct mail company. Again, each of these jobs are like two years. Yeah. And uh, worked for uh, a direct mail company in Indianapolis, and that's where I discovered social media. Yeah. And started playing with that and started trying to make that a part of my job. <laughs> and found that people were more interested in the social media than they were what I was supposed to be selling. Sure, sure. Like nobody wanted to talk about direct mail. They wanted to have meetings, but they're like, tell me about yeah. blogging. How do yeah. I do blogging? It's like, oh, that's not what I'm selling. Yeah. <laughs> and so not surprisingly, I got laid off from that job. Yep. 
and a couple months later uh, got hired by uh, Pro Blog Service. Actually, at the time, it was Professional Blog Service. Okay. And uh, and got hired by the guy because uh, he and I, we grew up in the same city. We both grew up in Muncie, went to Ball State at the same time, didn't know each other. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I had been active on this local social network called Smaller Indiana, which I think you were a part of. Yeah. I've forgotten all about that, but yes, oh, yeah. it was. Yeah. I'm still trying to buy the domain name, but I okay. keep hoping like every year the guy who's camped on it uh, is going to just let it expire and I can pick it up just for yeah. nostalgia's sake. But uh, but Mike had a job opening for a blog manager, and so I emailed him about it and said I was interested in applying, and, and he calls me like 10 minutes later. And this was the shortest job process I've ever been in. He calls me 10 minutes later, and we're talking, and I said – well, do you want to? You want me to send you any samples? And he said no. <laughs> I said, well, do you want to just set up a time to meet? He said no. <laughs> just come work for me. Uh, he said, I've seen what you can do on yeah. Smaller Indiana. He said, I talk about blogging to anybody. They all mention your name, so just come work for me. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you know, two days later, I'm at the office learning how to do what he's doing. Yeah. Three months after that. He said to me and the other guy who worked there, I don't want to do this anymore. I oh. want to go into consulting. Okay. And so he sold the company to uh, to me and my new business partner. And then in so 2013, I bought Paul out okay. and became the sole owner and changed the company name to ProBlog Service because okay. it was easier. Yeah. And uh, Paul and I still stay in touch and still chat once in a while. but. Uh, but now my my office is pretty much wherever I can get Wi-Fi. Okay, all right. So there was always a communication bent to the work you did, and one of the things that I I, I read a lot of what you write and what re- one of the many things that resonates with Aww, me is you. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> Very genuinely, one of the things that resonates with me is you always come back to this is really no different in terms of what works than what's always worked with storytelling mm-hmm. that there's no real tricks to having a successful blog or for that matter having a successful social media presence is it's do you have a good story and do you tell the story well um and, and it seems like it's it's consistent with what i've found is that if someone is a good communicator and they're rooted in good communication practices, they can do social media really well, even if they don't have a lot of knowledge of technology. Is that has that been your experience? Does that reflect your work? Uh, completely. Uh, and I used to I used to piss off a lot of the, the younger social media people, especially in the early days, because they're all saying, well, you can't be an expert because you have to, Malcolm Gladwell says you have to have 10,000 hours to be an expert. Malcolm Gladwell never said that. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell said you have to have 10,000 hours of perfect practice to be a phenom like Peyton okay. Manning or Tiger Woods. So that that whole argument never made sense to me. Sure. But even so, it wasn't that you had to know how to use the tools because anybody can learn how to use the tools in an hour. Sure. Yeah. It's do you know how to communicate with the tools? Yeah. And, and you know, people ask me about what is the future of content marketing? And, and I tell them it's nothing – it's not – going to look any different than it does right now. Yeah. It's pictures and words and sounds. Yep. And yep. so what do we read? What do we watch? What do we hear? We've been doing that for 
thousands of years. And, if, yeah. and so the tools have always changed, but and the tools will continue to change, but pictures and words and sounds will remain the same. Yep. And so, you know, I used to I used to tell people when I'd give talks or I'd write articles, I'd say, don't hand the social media reins to the intern just because they're young and they know, oh, yeah. you know, technology. It needs to be your seasoned professionals because they know communication. Yes, yes. And they have generally better judgment, at least if my life experience is any track record. Yes. That you can trust, you know, someone who's a little more experienced with the keys to the brand might not be as easy to trust someone who's just getting their feet under them professionally. Well, so, I remember a, a couple of stories where people would just make this horrible mistake. Yeah. Like there was some kid who was just, he was just starting out in social media management, working for some advertising agency that managed, I think it was uh, like Chevy or GMC. And he lived in Detroit, yep. and tweeted, I can't believe the drivers in Detroit, uh, you know, we're the car capital of the world and yet people can't fucking drive. Yeah, yeah. But he accidentally tweeted it from yeah. the Chevy account, yeah. not his own. Yeah. And uh, I think the agency got fired. Yeah. Kid got fired, and you know yeah. he's not working in that field anymore. I mean, oh, he's probably sure. yeah. selling insurance or something. I, yeah, it's yeah. Not it's nice. yeah. There's a lot of cautionary tales out there for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I do. I mean, older people can make those same dumb mistakes, but you know, you that taught us all to be very, very careful and to pay attention to for what sure. you're doing. But I think that's you know that's that kind of wisdom that comes with age. Sure, for sure. Well, Eric, you've got a, a diverse career and a diverse professional life. And uh, tell me if this is untrue, but you really do a few different things. You you are the the, the principal at Pro Blog Service. You're a humor columnist, and you write long form stuff, including books. Um, you still doing all of those things? Are all those still part of your professional life? Sure. So let's uh, take those. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say I'm doing a lot of ghost blogging and and starting to get into uh, ghost writing of books now. That's, okay. that's become a bigger part of my portfolio. Okay. All right. Well, I want to touch on each of those, and I'll start with the humor column stuff. Tell me a little bit about how that became part of your professional portfolio and what what you like about it, what's challenging about it, all those things. Well, I, I started, I've been doing it for about 26 years, and I got hired at the Wakarusa Tribune in uh, north central Indiana, uh, Wakarusa Tribune and the Mishawaka Enterprise, because it's owned by the same family. Yep. <clears throat> and I met the publisher at the uh, Kosciuszko County Democratic Party. Okay. Uh, he so it was, was just a, you and he in the room then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, not a lot of Democrats in Kosciuszko County. Yeah. It's like yeah. one of the most Republican yeah. districts in the in the entire country yeah and so there's like 12 of us there and he was our guest speaker and when i found out what he did i asked him if he would be interested in publishing a humor column and he said well send me a couple samples and and drop by the office and so i did that because i'd written a few just on spec just in case i could do it somewhere i sent him i faxed him the samples yeah. this is how long ago that was i faxed him the samples and showed up a few days later, or I guess a couple weeks later, and I, I asked him the same question. And he asked me that, that all-important question, are you a Democrat? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, that's where we met. And he said, welcome aboard. <laughs> and so 
I started writing columns for them, and they were awful. Oh, my God, they were terrible. I can't even go, like, the first five years, I will not go back and read what I wrote for the first five years. And I hope nobody unearths it because they were just (laughs) god-awful. Um, but he gave me that chance and, uh, and he let me develop and I, I learned, you know, how to harness not only my voice, but kind of taking elements from other writers that I really liked and, and pulling those in and all writers do that. You know, we, we take three or four writer voices that we like and make it our own. Well, those writers did the same thing. So we're like, you know, grandparent and great grandparent voices of all these writers who came before us. Sure. But uh, he let me find my voice, and uh, I started doing other writing projects, other humor writing projects, and I really got to kind of cement and and strengthen that humor muscle. And now that's a lot of what I do. Like I'm writing uh, scripts for uh, you know a proposed television show, and my novel is a humor novel, and you know that's that's the thing that I would like to be writing the most of, but that's also the thing that pays the least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Any are there any particular humorists who you draw inspiration from? I was always a big James Thurber guy. People think of him as Secret Life of Walter Mitty, but I loved his humor columns and just kind of the cadence of it. Anyone who you admire who you try to emulate at least somewhat? Um I tried emulating Douglas Adams and PG Woodhouse. Yeah. But they I also have a rule about no adverbs. <laughs> and they didn't have that filter at all. And so yeah, yeah. I realized I couldn't juggle both. So uh, I like their their kind of surprise of humor and and some of the, the silliness of it. So I try to borrow from that. Christopher Moore is a humor novelist. He's a, he's a great one. He wrote uh, Bloodsucking Fiends and uh, Fool and Lamb, which was a, you know, a story about Jesus and his yeah. best friend Biff. Um, uh, and I, I especially like Dave Barry. Yeah, Dave uh, I, Barry's great. Yeah, I borrowed a lot of Dave Barry style very early on. Yeah, so he's he's synthesized right in there. Yeah, yeah, and I can see some of that for sure in in some of your writing. So, so let's talk about the um, the 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 author piece because you've got Mackinac Island Nation, correct? Mm-hmm. Mackinac. Mackinac. Sorry. Um, and that Friend. I always manage to get those two confused. Um, and that's the novel, correct? Yes. And then you've got some more professional, if you will, stuff that you've done in partnership with other writers. Talk a little bit about the books and what that experience has been like. Okay. So uh, Kyle Lacey and I in 2010 wrote Branding Yourself, which I managed to squeeze a bunch of humor into. Yeah. But we wrote that because we had the year before I had helped Kyle write Twitter marketing for dummies. Mm-hmm. And we enjoyed the process so much. We said, well, let's write another book. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, what do you want to write? And he said, well, in, in the three years since you have been out networking, doing social media, because I had just left the state uh, three years previously, state government three years previously, <coughs> I had to get to know a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I, you know, made a big presence on social media. And he said, we need to write a playbook for the Eric that was you back in 2007 mm-hmm. to get him to the point where you are today in 2010. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did that. We wrote that playbook. 
we got it published by one of Pearson's imprints, Q, uh, which is has the office in Indianapolis, so we lucked out there. Yeah. Got that published. And I thought, well, that's two books in two years, so I'm going to take a break. And then two weeks later, I had an idea for a book, and I texted Jason Falls, <laughs> who's from Louisville, and I said, hey, yeah. I've got this idea for this book. Uh, what if we just did um, a book making a business case for social media? Mm-hmm. for executives. And he said, that sounds like a great idea. I get to pick the title. Yeah. I said, what is it? And he said, no bullshit social media. I said, that's wonderful. Let's go with that. And so yeah. we pitched that to Q and they loved it. And we published that and, uh, you know, wrote it in like five months. Yeah. Uh, Kyle and I did five months for uh, branding yourself. <clears throat> and so we had, a, I had a third book in three years and wow. Then we did a second edition of Branding Yourself, and then I helped another guy do the Owned Media Doctrine, which is all about content, corporate content marketing and how to build a news team yeah. with that. So I think yeah. I did five books in five years. Yeah, yeah. So where did the novel come in? Was that a more of a passion project, something you did, you know, you've always wanted to do? And, and how did that fit into everything else you were doing? Uh, so my wife and I had visited Mackinac Island a few times back in the late 90s. Yeah. And I, the idea for the book popped into my head back then. It's been rattling around ever since. And I, I asked myself, what if the island were forced to secede from the United States? <laughs> what would that look like? And so in 2015, I started writing that. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and just started planning it out and uh I have this habit. You're you're not supposed to do this. If you know any new writers, you're not supposed to edit as you write, and you're yeah. especially not supposed to edit the manuscript as you go. But I, each day I would start writing, and I would start by reading and polishing up the first, you know, what I had written the day before, and then going at it until pretty soon I'm like reading three chapters and writing for ten minutes. Yeah. Um, but but after a few months, that first chapter was so polished. Uh, it was it it was just smooth like silk, and I heard about this uh, writer's residency uh, at the Jack Kerouac House in Orlando, Florida, which is where I am now. Yeah, and applied for it, and um, and I got in. Yeah, and I thought when I when I found this or when I discovered I got in, I thought, well, they must have had four people apply. <laughs> I was pretty fortunate. Yeah. And uh, then I found out that we had alternates. And like, if I couldn't make it, there was somebody else who's going to go live in the house for three months. This is a three-month residency where you are the only person in the house that Jack Kerouac lived in when he yeah. lived in Orlando. Yeah. And and so there were eight of us. And I thought, oh, well, I must have won the coin toss. <laughs> then I found out later that 300 people applied. Wow. And wow. I was one of the four selected. And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> they think I could do this. They think I'm actually good at this. They're going to yeah. find out. And they're going to expose me as a fraud, and I'm, they're yeah. going to kick me out. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I, during that residency, I wrote half of the book. Yeah. Plotted it out, laid it all out on index cards, and and uh, created a, a an outline. And I followed that. And in the three months, I wrote half the book. And then over the next couple of years, I finished the book. And finally. I finally got sick of saying I was writing it. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to do it, get it done. And so, um, you know, finished it in uh, late 2018 and uh, let it sit. You should always do this with big manuscripts like this. 
let it sit for a few months, don't look at it at all, and then come back to it with fresh eyes. And I did that, and in April 2019, I, I published it on Kindle uh, and <coughs> excuse me, and print on demand. But the story is, is basically what I said earlier. It's what if the island were forced to secede from the United States because of a 200-year-old peace treaty, <laughs> and then Congress was going to repatriate, but because it's Congress, they were going to take two years to do it because <laughs> they have to have hearings and it's an election year coming up and they want to campaign on their opponent being soft on Mackinac. And so <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, satire. It's in the, in the, in the style and reminiscent of uh, Christopher Moore and Joseph Heller catch yeah. 22. Um, yeah. I've got a couple of scenes that there's are an homage to Joseph Heller. Yeah. Um, and I just came up with this just, wackiness of a book yeah yeah well, that's great so was the was the residency at the kerouac house was that what brought you to florida or was that just you know you were gonna go there and come back and you decided to stay how did that fit in uh it was it was a coincidence yeah it just, it just, the residency just so happened to be here uh we moved to florida because my wife wanted to move here and i wanted to stay married and so <laughs> we decided to come down as a family we, she wanted yeah. to be around in warmer weather yeah, and sure. of all the places we wanted to go, Orlando is the one that had Disney World, and so yeah. we picked picked <laughs> yeah. Orlando, and uh, and the the residency just happened to be here. If we hadn't moved, I would have come down for three months, lived in the house, and then gone back home. Okay, which is what everybody does. You know, we have sure. four per year, and um, and so now <clears throat> because I was local, uh, and because I have you know that business background, I got. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two months after I left, I was asked to be on the board. Okay. And so now I'm on the board of directors at the Kerouac House, and uh, and I get to hang out with the writers. And uh, like tonight, we've got an open mic <clears throat> for the writers of Central Florida, and I'm taking our current writer uh, with me so she can participate. All right. Well, that's great. Well, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about pro blog service. Tell me the state of pro blog service. And if you would, kind of the state of blogging, um, because I, you know, and and tell me, I, I suspect you do more than just blogging, but tell me a little bit about what the model is, um, where you think it's headed and what that means for blogging and social kind of writ large, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. So pro blog services is essentially a, it's a content marketing agency, but we focus on blogging. So I just tell people I'm a ghost blogger. Yep. Um, or a corporate ghost blogger. It sounds cooler for some reason. But <laughs> but all I do is write blog articles for companies that want to be found online more easily and they want to sound like experts in their field yep. uh, when they are found. And so uh, we do this, I do this be, uh, just by, you know, posing four or eight questions per month to the client. You know, we work on retainer basis and yep. I come up with four or eight questions uh, during an interview, they answer those questions. I record it and turn those into four or eight blog articles per month. Yep. And then publish it on their blog, uh, optimize it for search, and then promote it on their social networks. And <clears throat> and I, a lot of companies are doing this, or a lot of companies are realizing they need content marketing. Um, but, and because there's so much of it, there's so many people churning out blog articles yeah. and, you know, now there's artificial intelligence software that's churning out blog articles, but they're awful. Yeah. 
But a lot of these companies are working on the model of we don't want a thousand people to read one article. We want a thousand articles each read by one person. Yeah, yeah. And so where I come in is somebody does want a thousand people to read an article. They want it to be so good, so well written, so interesting that it's something that gets shared. It's something that becomes like an industry standard or an industry report. Yeah. And so, um, so that's sort of the model that that I work under is as that cream rising to the top. Well, and as as it happens, as Google's algorithm evolves, it's the right play for SEO um, because Google's getting harder to game, and quality content is winning more often. At least that's my perception. Exactly, because yeah. Google is paying attention to user behavior. Yep. And so if somebody comes to a page and they stay on it for several minutes. Versus comes to a page, stays there for 10 seconds and leaves. Yeah. They look at that and they say, well, this this second page, people must not like it. Mm-hmm. And so that gets lowered in the search rankings where the yeah. stuff that people are reading and sharing, Google says, this must be good stuff. And yeah. so they raise it up in the search engine. And so because of that, I think blogging is, it's here to stay. You know, people have tried to rename it and call it something else and yeah. uh, and, you know, replace it with something else. But my argument has always been businesses are just now getting it. Yeah. So it's not going to go anywhere for a good long while. Yeah. I, I still remember when email was a fad. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. This is not touch email. And, you know, now people are saying email's going to go away. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. Not while the corporations have it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you see as the interplay between video content and long form written content? You know, the, it's it, if if you listen to the conventional wisdom, uh, video is something everyone should be doing. Video is a good alternative to written long form content. Obviously, it's not an either or situation. But w- when asked about where video fits in, how do you answer that question? Um, I think video is important in the B two C world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if you've got younger customers, they love watching video. Yeah, but I think in the B two B world, it's still. I think the long form written content is still preferable. For one thing, a lot of people read faster. Mm-hmm. You know, you figure the average spoken content is a hundred to hundred and fifty words per minute. You know, mm-hmm. we speak that fast, mm-hmm. um, and hundred and fifty words per minute sounds kind of like this, and a hundred words per minute sounds like this. Well, anybody who reads twice that speed can watch or can read an article in half the time that they could watch it. And if you're somebody like me who reads much faster, I don't want to watch a three minute video when I can read that in a minute. I can read the transcript in a minute and I'd rather do that. Plus, you know, depending on the kind of company you work for, your IT department may not let you watch YouTube. Yeah, sure. Or look at Facebook where these videos are located. Yeah. And so how do you get around those IT filters? Sure. So sure. in the B2B world, I think I think long form is still important. The other issue is that Google is still learning to transcribe art or transcribe videos yeah. to put the transcriptions down on the YouTube page. Yeah. So what you should do if you want to optimize your videos is you transcribe it and stick that on your YouTube your your video in the description because they're still looking at text yeah. and make those optimization decisions. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. So with all of the things that you're working on, what are some of the, the things that are taking up most of your time, most of your energy, most of your headspace, the big rocks that are on your to-do list that you're trying to push? What are some of the big things you're working on right now? Um, I've got a couple of uh, ghost books in the works. One, uh, I'm just going into the uh, final editing process. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I've got two on the horizon that we're trying to line everything up so I can get started on those. Um, I'm trying to uh, rewrite some of my own content, a couple of white papers uh, just for downloadable content uh, as a lead generation. And then yep. you know, on the personal front, um, my wife and I are working on a sitcom. Oh, wow. Trying to pitch to some streaming services, and we we know people who are in you know the entertainment world. My wife is an actor, yeah. uh, and so you know we we sent it to somebody who is an agent out in Hollywood, who's the agent of a friend of ours, and she looked at it and said, "This is great," uh, but even with my contacts, it's still you know a long shot to get it on Netflix. Sure, uh, she said, "You're better off." creating it yourself, streaming it, and hope it gets picked up, which is the Letterkenny model. Yeah. Everybody watches Letterkenny from Canada. They started out as a YouTube short. Huh, I didn't realize that. So, and yeah. Uh, yeah, if anybody's looking for great uh, TV, Letterkenny, it's okay. uh, it's hilarious. It's foul, uh, <laughs> but it's hilarious. Yeah. But, but they started out streaming episodes on YouTube, and so we are going to start producing episodes and airing those on YouTube and trying to build up an audience and catch Netflix's attention or Hulu or whomever oh, and great. see if we can get that going. So, And then yeah. uh, I've got uh, another novel that I've been working on and just kind of noodling around with and haven't touched it in several months, Yeah, which is, seems to be about how I work on those. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Well, good luck with the sitcom. It was also a long shot to apply for the Kerouac House residency. And oh, yeah. That. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's pivot to the speed round of the show, if you don't mind. Um, and I'm going to ask you three questions that sometimes generate a quick answer, but it's not important the answer be quick, but um, it's more digestible stuff. So when it comes to your career, you've had a long, successful career in content development, in writing and communication. What has been the key to your success what do you think ultimately is important for people to remember when trying to build a fulfilling and successful career? Um, <clears throat> two things. One, you have to be good at the thing you do. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. You, you should love the thing you do. So that's still one thing. You should love the thing <laughs> you do because you're going to spend all day doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so you want to put all the time and energy to get really good at it. Yeah. And I mean really, really good at it. I've been writing in one form or another for – 34 years, mm -hmm. you know, since college and yeah. kind of in my late 20s, I really started to focus on developing that talent. That's what makes me stand out from most other content marketers. Um, but I couldn't do that if I didn't love it. Yeah. So get good at the thing you want to do. The other thing is you have to do a lot of networking. Yeah. You have to go out and meet people, join networking groups. Uh, you know, there's Rainmakers in Indianapolis. There's Chambers of Commerce. Uh, every major city has some kind of event. Uh, there's One Million Cups. Um, I actually run the One Million Cups chapter down here in Orlando. But then meet people, have coffee with them, uh, and start asking for referrals. Do yeah. you know somebody who has this thing? 
or do you know somebody who does this thing and you get to be top of mind for them and when somebody asks them hey i need i need a blog uh created or i need somebody to do my bookkeeping or i need business insurance you know who that person is because they've been meeting with you you've been meeting with them sure and so you have to do a lot of networking and just drink a lot of coffee or tea uh to get your name out there uh, and build those connections that build your career. Yeah, that okay. and that's true whether you're starting your own business or working at an agency. Yeah, you should be networking with other people. For sure, for sure. And and I like the part about making the ask because, you know, we've been taught good things come to those who wait, but as it turns out, good things sometimes come to those who ask too. So. Yeah. See, yeah. I think that's an Indiana thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I grew so. up in Indiana. Uh, you well, you're from Boston, but you you know you've been here long enough that we've kind of infected you. Um, we have this this mindset of you don't ask because that's pushy, and yeah. you don't brag. Yeah. But you have equated talking about yourself with yeah. bragging. Yeah. Like, you know, saying I wrote a book. I still hesitate telling yeah. people I wrote a book, and I I wrote the book on telling people how to write the book or how, you know, how to tell people I wrote the book. I still hesitate to do that because yeah. it feels like bragging, but you have to do it and you have to overcome that, that reticence of talking about yourself yeah. because nobody's going to know if you don't tell them. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something I've noticed since moving here. I think imposter syndrome is somewhere woven into the Indiana state seal. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the second question, um, and I'm going to, nuance this one a little bit for you. So I usually ask people, you know, what's one thing you want people to know about your organization that could be a myth you want to dispel or something that's underappreciated. But talk about, you know, the work that you do in general. What's something that you think might be a surprise to people or a myth that you want to dispel about the work that you do? Um, the idea that writing simply is uh, is easy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's actually very difficult. You know, I've I've done it enough that it's second nature to me. But to write, you want to write things that are you know at a sixth grade level or lower, just because that you know, that's what we're comfortable with sure. in our in our cranial capacity and our our brain pipeline loves sixth grade reading level and lower. And you know, for a great example, <clears throat> you can Google it and find the full text. Uh, Ernest Hemingway's Big Two-Hearted River, mm -hmm. 7,000 words. It's written at a 3.4 grade level. Now, I ran the whole text through, uh, you know, the Flesh-Kincaid score that you can get on, on Word. Um, or if you get HemingwayApp.com, you can, you can see what your reading score is. And that is written at a third grade reading level. Mm. But it's such a good story, and it's so yeah. interesting. And so to realize that it's written so simply is is staggering yeah and that takes a lot of effort and if yeah. you if you want to test it for yourself just take something you've written you know take a 300 word email just a simple email that you send to somebody and paste it in hemingwayapp.com and see what the scores say and it, it'll be written at a 10th grade level and it'll have lots of passive voice and lots of adverbs and lots of complex and very complex sentences yeah. and, and you know you'll look at it and think well, this is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot. If you if you do that, if you have that thought, you are ahead of ninety percent of the people <laughs> who just write stuff in this world. That yeah. thought of this is garbage. 
I should fix this. <laughs> You'll be yeah. so much further ahead than everybody else. Um, yeah. And so learning to write simply uh, is, a, you know, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of effort to make it look effortless. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Twain who said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, this letter is so long. Uh, it would have been shorter if I had the time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. All right, last question. What is one tip or tool or trick or hack, call it what you will, that you use in your professional life, but it could be anywhere in your life, that you really rely upon that you think people should know about? Um, Hemingway app is one. Yep. Grammarly is another. Grammarly is great. Yeah, get yep. Grammarly plug-in for Chrome, and I even pay for the uh, for the professional upgrade. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's critical to me. But I think the, the number one hack uh, and this is, I think this is another surprise for a lot of people is I read constantly. Um, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, uh, maybe more than I should, but, but I read a uh, hundred books a year Wow. and not business books. Yeah. And I don't read blogs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I said earlier, a lot of people are just turning out mediocre blogs. You won't get good by reading mediocre stuff. Yeah. You, you have to read things that people were paid to write. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how you build your skill. You look at the people, and this is why I read books. These are the people who are, are very, very good at writing books. And I I read it as much for the entertainment as for the techniques that I want to steal and, and make my own. Uh, I read a lot of mysteries, yeah. uh, like Golden Age of Mystery. That's kind of the thing I've been reading now. So uh, Agatha Christie and Niall Marsh and uh, Petey James, and she's kind of older than that. But, uh, you know. Uh, just a lot of great authors producing great work, and and that's how I sharpen my skills. If I'm not doing it, it's like uh, uh, you know, football players. If they're not practicing, they're watching videos. Mm-hmm. So writers, if we're not writing, we're reading. Yeah. So yeah. anybody who wants to get good at writing needs to read a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, more great advice, and certainly from someone who knows what he's doing. Um, so, Eric, you are living proof that philosophy majors can make it in the real world. <laughs> yeah, I went from uh, from theoretical BS into applied BS. <laughs> I got you've my. Even, you've even written the book on BS. Yeah, and I, I got my BS in BS <laughs> from BSU. So, yeah, not many well, people can say. <laughs> Well, congratulations for everything you have going on, and it's great to see your face. Thanks for being with us, and thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We will be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you will join us then.